Did you ever want a friend who was so close to you that it seemed like you were one person sometimes? You know what I mean? A friend that was that close. Nowadays, the big deal is a soulmate. Soulmate. The idea that there is one person out there who would make a perfect spouse for you. That you truly would be one. If only you were with that one person. We're not most of us very young anymore, so we can kind of laugh at that. (laughs) But what about a friend type of soulmate? The concept of a friendship so close that it could never be broken. Not by any circumstance forced upon the two of you, nor by any disagreement that came between you, and certainly not by someone who would accuse one of you against the other, if you'd believe those lies anyway. And that really is what a soulmate is. Absolutely close absolutely trustworthy, one who would never reject us, would never forsake us. We all want a soulmate like that. Hopefully we all want to be a soulmate like that too. (laughs) One that will always be faithful. Why are we like this? Why, Why do we want this? Because we are made in the image of God. There are two concepts in Christianity which are inexplicable, but which which deal with this issue of oneness. Only imperfect illustrations to try to explain them are available to us. There's no possibility of our really understanding them. But if we believe we will have all eternity (laughs) to explore the wonders of these two thoughts. Let's examine the Living Hope Church basic statement of belief, which is taken directly from the Converge Worldwide statement of belief, the Trinity. We believe that there is one living and true God eternally existing in three persons that these are equal in every divine perfection, that they execute distinct but harmonious offices in the work of creation and providence and redemption. For nearly a millennia and a half, the Jews had said, there is one God. Before that, Abraham knew the one God. Noah trusted this one God. Enoch walked with one God. Adam was the son of one God. Now the apostles, including Paul, claim there are three persons who are this one God. (laughs) This was more than difficult for Jews because they thought of one God as, well, one person. (laughs) Can't really say as I blame them. Sounds like it makes sense, right? One God, one person. Greek philosophers had no problem with three persons because they thought there were many gods. (laughs) Three gods, three persons, no problem. But three as two persons and one as two essence? Now that was difficult. Remember that early Roman definition of a person that we read a few weeks ago? 
A person is an individual substance of a rational nature. A person, an individual substance. One substance, essence, equals one person. Yes? Uh, no. <laughs> but this truth does lead us to understand one thing clearly. These three persons of this one God must have a relationship closer than anything or anyone in creation. You want to talk about soulmates? <laughs> three persons in one nature or essence? Yeah, that's going to be really close. Theologians like to say things like, God exists undivided in divided persons. Uh, <laughs> I read that all through seminary, things like that. They've made up words to try and find a way to express this truth. Coinherence. <laughs> Some early Greek theologians coined the word perichoresis. <laughs> That's real helpful. The Theopedia entry states, Perichoresis is a Greek term used to describe the triune relationship between each person of the Godhead. It can be defined as co-indwelling, co-inhering, and mutual interpenetration. You get the feeling they're trying to describe something you can't describe? I... Alistair McGrath writes that perichoresis allows the individuality of the persons to be maintained while insisting that each person shares in the life of the other two. An image often used to express this idea is that of a community of being. A community of being. Three persons, one God. It's, it's inexplicable, but close. The ultimate soulmate. And there are clearly a, a few things we can know. They are absolutely close. They absolutely trust one another. They would never fail, reject, or forsake one another. They cannot <laughs> fail, reject, or forsake one another. They share the same will. I mean, you just can't. They know the same things. Well, everything, but they know it. <laughs> They live in the same place, exactly. It happens to be every place, but they live in the same place. To be one with another like that. Wow, now that would be something, wouldn't it? But in the Apostle Paul's lifetime, in the lifetime of many of those Ephesian believers, God's plan to reach humanity took a mysterious turn Let's go to another entry in the Living Hope Church Statement of Belief. We believe in Jesus Christ, God eternally, the Father's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in His virgin birth. The statement goes on. But we need a pause. One person of the Trinity, the Godhead, becomes a fetus in a virgin's womb? What? <laughs> Now understand, he must keep his divine nature. It's not like you can take a break from being God or something. Eh? So he adds a human nature to his person. He really, truly, honestly becomes a human child. 
This must have been abhorrent to the Jews. God must remain God. Well, he did, but they couldn't see it, some of them. Then again, many of them met Jesus and, well, it was pretty obvious. <laughs> yes, he's man, but he's so obviously God also. The Ephesians had much more Greek influence than Jewish. And to the Greek philosophers, it was a repulsive thought. The, only the spiritual is good. All physical is bad. It's, that's, physical is bad, spiritual is good. So even if they'd agree to one God in three persons, the idea that one of those persons took on human flesh, uh, just too much for them. And let's face it, this is inexplicable to everybody. How could there be one person who is truly God and simultaneously truly man? How can that be? And yet Paul clearly assumes this in all his writings, as do all the other New Testament writers. They all do. There is one God, to which all first century believers said, that's right, Father God. Well, well, yeah, okay, Father Israel. There is one God, the Son. Wait, there are two gods? No, one God. One God but two people? No, one God, three persons. Three? Yeah, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit? Yes, and the Son became a man. You just see him with their glassy eyes. A man? And died to save you and rose from the grave and ascended to heaven and will return one day. What? <laughs> hey, it's just what is. Deal with it. <laughs> and that's where Paul left it. Where all the other scriptural writers of the church age left it. So how do we deal with it? Why would God choose to become a man? Remember, Paul just assumes this throughout, so we kind of have to dig a bit. We'll start digging in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 17. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Well, for what reason? Paul has explained his prayers for and thoughts about the Ephesians 8. He wanted to ensure they understood that beginning in Christ, that they had a good foundation. So he talked about the root of redemption. Do you understand that the Father chose you before time began? The reason for redemption, you don't deserve it. No one does. But somehow his plan includes loving and choosing you. The recipe for redemption, his son gave his blood so that you could be redeemed. He was your substitute in a death you deserved. And the result of redemption, you gain an inheritance so that Christ will be glorified. And redemption surety. The Holy Spirit guarantees your inheritance. Before you were ever born, he determined that you would acquire possession of it. For that reason, all this was accomplished to the praise of his glory. And for that reason, because Paul heard of their faith in Jesus and their love toward all the saints. That combination, by the way, and order is critical. Start with the vertical, <laughs> upward to Jesus. That's your first step. Then the horizontal outward to the saints. They did that and Paul could give thanks for them and pray for them unceasingly, he says. Okay, we've got a foundation. We're being prayed for. Where do we go from here, Paul? <laughs> for what was Paul praying? 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Does the spirit of just mean thought patterns of wisdom and revelation? Is that, is that all he's trying to say? Is it some kind of secret knowledge thing? You know what the Greeks called gnosis? No. We didn't read it today, but just before this, Paul spoke of the Holy Spirit who. It's not a mindset. It's not something. It is who. This whole thing, everything we're reading today, is about who. Who is doing the revealing in this case? And what is the purpose? To know the glorious Father. That's the purpose. You ever heard someone say, know thyself. It sounds so much wiser when you say thyself than rather know yourself. <laughs> it just doesn't sound like know thyself. But that's wrong. Know yourself? No. Know God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fear of the Lord is a deep and abiding, soul-shaking respect and love for Yahweh Knowing our ability to approach Him, our inability, I should say, to approach Him on our own. And one shows that by their concern for His decrees, His instructions. To the disciples, Jesus said, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Strange thing to say. One of those apostles, decades later, penned these words, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Do you want to understand this one thing? Is another great sounding statement. To thine own self be true. <laughs> Remember old blue eyes, Frank Sinatra? I did it my way. Fools! You are the problem. <laughs> be true to yourself? No! To God alone be true. Start with knowledge of the Holy One. Show your heart is one with His by keeping His commandments. It's a measurement, people. <laughs> you really want the oneness. Do we want that oneness? Really? Whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. But there's more to be gained from this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, isn't that just a wonderful expression? I love that one. It's more than just knowing. It's more than just our minds. Satan knows God better than you and I. Did you know that? He does. But the eyes of his heart 
are tightly shut. <laughs> he will not see the love of God, the oneness of God, the oneness God desires with his children. And don't you love the two ways Paul views our future? The hope to which he has called us, well, them, but us too, and the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, which Paul has already mentioned. Those two things say the same thing. And what we want to focus on today is that the hope, the glorious inheritance, belongs to those whose hearts have been enlightened. Their hearts are enlightened. Those who can see with the eyes of their heart the community of being in the Trinity and understand at least a little the love that flows so unimpeded between them. The eyes of their hearts, the Ephesians, have been and are continuing to be enlightened. They can see, albeit dimly, Paul says in another place, the riches he will pour out on them. Uh, these riches in Christ, that's a theme in, in Ephesians. It's in uh, a couple times in the first chapter, in the second chapter, what is it, two times, a third chapter, a couple times. Each time Paul is describing the position of the believer in regards to his or her soul with God. How does that relate? We see three things here in this section on which we should base our hope, our future riches in Christ, the work Christ has already done, and the power that he has and uses to help us see with the eyes of our hearts. These come together in three manifestations we could say, demonstrations of that power. Ephesians 1.19 And what is the immeasurable greatness of the, His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead? The first manifestation of God's power, Paul wants them to remember, is the miraculous resurrection of the human person, body and soul, of Jesus Christ. There are two issues going on here. Only God can forgive sin. But only a human could die in our place, that is, shed his blood. Jesus, God the Son in human form, well, that solves it. <laughs> that gives us our human involvement because Jesus was truly a human being. But understand that his person was deeply torn by his death. Death is separation, right? We can't say, oh, he only died in his human nature. Persons die. Persons die. The person of the Son, the one God-man, experienced death. He truly experienced death. Death is a pretty big rejection. But there's a greater issue. Our sins were forgiven on the cross, the Bible says. Forgiveness is a function of the divine. Matthew and Luke record this cry of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The three in one, ultimate soulmates, absolutely close, absolutely trustworthy, 
They would never fail, reject, or forsake one another. And wait, didn't you say they cannot fail, reject, or forsake one another? Yeah, in their divine form, in their nature as God, they are one. And that's true. They can't even reject one another. But the person of the Son took on human form and took our sins on himself and was forsaken. Persons experience abandonment. The person of the Son, the one God-man, was forsaken. Jesus Christ experienced the abandonment of his Father. But even as he was suffering alone on that cross, he placed his faith in the Father. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. If you knew, you would not be able to pull air back into your lungs if this was your very last breath, what would you breathe out? Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What is finished? His work here on earth, which included his rejection by the Father in our place for our sins. But uh, this is the person of the Son. <laughs> the reality of his perfection overwhelmed death. His trust in the Father is realized. The great miracle of raising Christ in his human nature from the dead is the focal point of the redemption event. But it doesn't stop even there. The reality of who he is drew he and the Father together. He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. The Son has always been one with the Father. Even when He was on the cross, He in His divine form sustained and ruled the universe. So we know Paul is speaking here of the Son in His human nature. The second manifestation of God's power is displayed in the one perfect man. Christ, the Son in human form, is given authority over all powers and all creation far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Authority, power and dominion, these are Greek terms used of angels and demons. Human nature in the person of the Son, Jesus Christ, will have dominion even over all created spirit beings. And he put all things under his feet. A thousand years before this, the Holy Spirit had led David to write, Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your feet. You have put all things of the work of your hands. You have put all things under his 
speak. Because he took on human nature, he could take back what Adam lost, dominion over creation. Oh, wait a minute. Adam didn't have authority over angels and demons. <laughs> That's true. But God has a better plan than what Adam had. And one of the persons of the Trinity came to live among men and suffered and died to achieve this great goal. The plan is all about drawing close, having soulmates. <laughs> Not mate like one. But for every creature in the new creation, every creature to be a soulmate with every other creature. Go back to what Paul said earlier. The mystery of his will, which he sent forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. Because the person of the Son has two natures, he can unite it all together. Heaven, the spiritual, and earth, the physical. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Understand, Christ did not abandon his human nature. He just, okay, I'm done with that. No, uh-uh. He will be Jesus forever. He will be God with us. Paul told the believers in Rome that in the next life, he will remain our brother. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We were created in the image of God. All humans were. In the fullness of time, our bodies, those of believers, will be recreated in the image of his Son. The glorified, risen from the dead Son. <laughs> okay? To the Ephesian church, Paul said, not only in this age, not only in this age. Hmm. In a sense, Jesus has already achieved the goal in this age. How? The Father gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The third manifestation of God's power, he is made head of the church. This is the first mention of the church in this letter. You know, all this truth that Paul's handing out, he's got to go someplace. And Paul has been driving towards this point. The church is to be one. Soulmates. Note that Paul means the universal church, not just their local church, and not just our local church, but rather the church as a whole. And remember, this oneness thing goes way beyond us. It goes even beyond this world, actually. In fact, it goes to the person of the Son himself. His human nature and his divine come together. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The Son is all, the fullness, and he fills all. Because he is the same yesterday and today and forever, as the writer of the Hebrews said, and because he took on a human nature, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for us, was resurrected for eternity, and will return for us. But for what purpose? 
Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We are supposed to be soulmates, all of us, every last one of us who believe, and not just with each other. We are to be soulmates with the persons of the Trinity. <laughs> That's what we were made for. That is what we were made for. And don't miss that last point Jesus made in his prayer. The world is watching. <laughs> Are we obeying his commandments? Do we already demonstrate our union with Christ? Well, how do we do that? Hmm, let's think. Uh, what is Christ's body? Do we care for Christ's body more than anything else? No thing, no person that is not a part of his body will be a part of the one God-man and his body. If they're breathing, they still might join us. So be kind to and gentle with them, the scripture says. But we must invest our lives into those who believe. And Lord help us not to be the ones who cause division in his body. When one of the disciples asked Jesus, how is it that we will see you with the eyes of our hearts and the world won't? Because Jesus had said that was going to be the case. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. There's much to be learned about the commandments of Jesus, which are all the scriptures, by the way. They're all commandments of Jesus, everything from Genesis to Revelation. But Jesus summed it up for his disciples this way, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's it. We don't die for anyone's sins, I mean, but we can die to ourselves and live for him, which means loving one another, becoming the soulmates he intended us to be. We're not there yet, but we can get closer. And then, when our hope is realized, and we receive our glorious inheritance, we will be one with the Father. We will be one with the Son. We will be one with the Holy Spirit. And one with every angel, one with every human in the new creation. Actually, one with every person in the new creation. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Father, we know the commandment and it burns in our hearts. But you didn't say how difficult it could be. 
I guess maybe you did. After all, your son did come and die on the cross. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy to draw us to you because we, like every other human being, just fight against you. He tried to goad Paul into the right direction and your son said to him, Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goading? Well, I don't think there's one of us here who hasn't kicked back at you. But you have in our hearts that desire. And your spirit continues to work in us to draw us ever closer to you and then ever closer to each other. Help us, Lord, to become more like your Son, more like Jesus. God in human form, the person of the Son, standing there, a human being. Help us to be like him. I know one day you will make us actually like him. We will finally be perfect. We will be able to be soulmates with every person and never, ever cause a problem. Right now, we live here and we all have mirrors and we all know who we are. We know our imperfections, so we ask that you help us to work through those imperfections and to overlook the imperfections of those around us. But maintain your scripture, maintain your commandments. You've got to live right. We can't put up with wrong living. But Lord, help us to be helping people. And especially help us to be introducing people to you who are being drawn, who do want to be soulmates with you. Amazing that it's possible, and you have made it possible through your Son and by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you in the name of your Son. Amen.